very happy that you're all here with us. But hey, we're going to just dive right in to the sermon. Um, uh, you guys know that we've been on, uh, we just started a new series called Faith and Work. And what we've been trying to um, explore is how does that, how does our faith and our work intersect? How can we bring them together? Uh, and I'm excited about this because in the next two weeks, actually, we're going to have two uh, people that have one, uh, Y Singh, who actually is part of our leadership team, but he's, you know, b- pretty busy working 80 hours, 50, 60 hours, whatever it is. Not 80, I'm probably like 60 or 70. But anyway, but he's going to be sharing and, uh, and actually showing us what does that look like to have your faith at work. And then next week, uh, Jeremiah James will also be sharing. He worked four years at a real estate company, and he'll be sharing just from, from Scripture what that, what that actually looks like for us. Today, my, my job the last two weeks was kind of to give you a theological perspective on that because I'm not, and, you know, I, don't, I work at church, right? <laughs> so um, I worked maybe, I think I worked two years right after college at a law firm, and I hated that job, and I was like, I'm going to seminary, guys. Forget this. But no, anyway, I, all that to say is um, I'm excited to have these guys kind of share um, kind of practical tips on what that looks like. But today, we'll be looking at calling, calling, vocation and calling. And we'll be reading from the scripture, scripture verse. I'll actually be reading a couple of scripture verses for us. But we'll, to start out, we'll be reading from Acts chapter 8, starting from verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, um, you can turn to there, Acts 8, verse 1. This is what it says. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any any there who belonged to the way, meaning who belonged to Christ, uh, who were part of the faith of Christianity, whether men or women, he, would, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. But as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Saul asked I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go to the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The man traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see. Um, he could see nothing. So they asked him, by the, they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. That's the reading of the word. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for another Sunday, another fall uh, weekend. Um, I pray, God, even now as we dive into your scriptures, I pray that you open our eyes to see um, uh, to see what you have for us today. Open our eyes to see what you're calling us to to, to do what our true calling is like, what our true vocation is like. And I pray that you challenge us today and invite us uh, to be part of what you're doing in our church, in our world, and in our very lives. Um, So I pray even now that 
you uh, bring just your Holy Spirit, God, to guide us through your word and to transform us in our hearts, not just with our minds. Um, so we thank you for your presence that's here with us. In Jesus' name, he said, amen. Now, um, I think all of us, probably all of us, at one point in our lives have struggled with um, or wrestled with trying to figure out what our purpose is in life, what our calling is. Maybe in one season and another, maybe even at your job right now, you're struggling with that. What is, what is the purpose of my life? What are you calling me to do? Um, maybe before college you know, or after college, you're f- trying to figure out what am I supposed to do with my life? What is the point of all this? You might be married and you're like, what's the point of all this? Because you're fighting all day, fighting every day. You might be single. What is the point of this? What is the purpose of my life? You might feel like a cog in the machine and you're like, ugh, you feel stuck. I think every one of us at some point or another have struggled with that question. Um, It is the very question that even the world has struggled with. Um, I like what Kierkegaard, the uh, philosopher, said. He says, the thing is to understand myself, to see myself, to see what God really wants me to do. The thing is to find a truth which is true for me, to find the idea which I can live and die. We all struggle with this. I think, honestly, a lot of us, especially if you're not from the New York City area, Jersey City area, we moved here to find out who we are, to find out our identity. And in many ways, our work, our occupation, our daily job has come to define who we are. Um, I, I, I think I've shared this story that even right after college, or actually during college, was one of the most depressive moments of my life because I couldn't figure out what I was supposed to do. I thought I was supposed to go to med school, but that did not feel, it did not sit, sit right with me, and I struggled, and I was depressed about that. Maybe you went through that too. I think this is the great puzzle of the day. The question that plagues us is, who am I? What am I supposed to do? Some of you probably read the horoscopes, right? You read it every day. Like, who am I? What am I? Okay. Oh, yeah, this sounds good. I like that. And then you go on your day. Some of you take personality tests. They're good. There's nothing wrong with that. But the whole we're all trying to figure out who we are. This is the great puzzle of our day. Unfortunately, like I alluded to, the, the unfortunate thing about this is that oftentimes, because of that very question, we tend to make our jobs, our occupation, our college degrees, our credentials, um, define who we are, define our purpose and our meaning. And this, I think, this is actually one of the greatest confusion for a lot of us, because what we do is... We confuse, we make work, our, our daily work, synonymous with calling, our vocation. But here's the thing. Our work, our daily jobs, is not the same as our calling. Our occupation is 
something that we've done because, you know, maybe because of a college degree, because of your connections, or because of different things that made you get that job, and that becomes your job. It's not your calling. Instead, your calling is your larger, is this larger category describing God's purposes for humanity. This is kind of like a Christian perspective, obviously. One author puts it this way, is that your calling is what God calls you, where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The thing that you're so passionate about and the thing that is so needed in the world, this is, this is your calling. So what, what that means then is this, is that it is a thing that you need to do, the, the thing you must do, and the thing the world needs to have done. So that means that our work is not necessarily our calling, right? It is part of our calling. It's part of the many aspects of what God has called us to. It's not. And I think this confusion that we have oftentimes exacerbates this angst that we have. Because when we go to our jobs, we feel, you know, we, we, we feel just, it doesn't feel right. While you're going through the drudgery of the day and <laughs> dealing with your coworkers, it does not feel right. And part of that is because we've confused our God-given calling and made that to be our work. And here's the second problem as well. The second problem is this, is when you think about the prevailing philosophical premise, the prevailing um, idea that, that, that's running our world that, that they've tried to give an, an answer to is this, is that your meaning, your purpose can only be found within yourself. Right? That is the prevailing pr- philosophical idea or perspective worldview that we have in our world today, especially in Western culture, is this, that your meaning and your purpose, you can only find it within. Go within and you will find it, right? This is what many of uh, self-help gurus will tell you. It's within you. It's in you. Just there's this gut feeling you have. And many of us run with that. So here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with that. I can't even find where I wrote that. <laughs> Here, here's the problem. <laughs> Is that if you find meaning within yourselves today, guess what happens three years from now? It changes. It's different. Because we're not static human beings. We're not rigid human beings. It, it changes. I remember when I was a, a teenager, and I thought I knew everything. And I would argue with my parents about everything, about politics, about... Uh, just whatever it is, I would argue, about, argue with them because I thought I knew everything. And then now I think back, I realize, oh, wow, I was, <laughs> I was pretty dumb. <laughs> I had no clue. And the older I get, the more I realize I don't even know as much as I think I do. So you can't find meaning within yourself if you are just clueless about the world and about who you are. Secondly, we are so morally bankrupt, right? 
I mean, think about if you're married, think about the last argument you had with your wife, with your spouse. Think about that. The other day, Caitlin was mad at me because I, you know, I was on my phone because it's like my hand. It just, it's like Velcro. <laughs> I'm just on my phone. And I did not want to admit she was right. I just walked away because I didn't want to hear it. It's, it's me in my being morally bankrupt. I think about the time you lied to your coworker. You know, a little lie here and there. To your boss, little lie. Oh, why were you not at work? Uh, I was kind of sick. No, not really. You just wanted to take off. We are so morally bankrupt, and we think we can find meaning and purpose in us? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, an author put it this way, Alan Noble, in his book, um, Disrupting Witness. He says, we want to know that significance of our personal existence is justified. It's justified within ourselves. But we also want to know that it has meaning and it extends over time and place and circumstances. Right? He calls this, this existential justification. That we want to know that we exist for something. And we look for it within ourselves, but it's not there. Because we're always changing because we are, we are morally bankrupt. Um, I read a story about um, a guy, his name is Arthur F. Burns, and he, in the 70s, he was the chairman of the United States Reserve, and he was known to be this guy with such gravitas, right? He had his pipe in his hand, and he'd be walked into the room, everyone just like, oh, wow, he's here, right? Just like me when I walk into the room. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm tall. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, but this guy would walk into the room and everyone would just like, oh, wow, if he had something to say, everyone would pay attention because what he said carried so much weight. And then there was a, a time where there was a White House prayer group that started and he actually joined that prayer group. Even, you know, he was a Jewish guy. It was kind of an interfaith uh, prayer group. And um, no one would ask him to lead or to pray because kind of afraid of him because, you know, he's this important figure. And then there was a certain time where one guy who was new to the group was leading the group, and he asked him, Arthur Burns, to pray. And the whole room's quiet, like, oh, no, he made a mistake. He shouldn't have done that. But he prayed. He prayed, and this is what he prayed. He said this, Lord, I pray that you would bring the Jews to know Jesus Christ. I pray you bring the Muslims to know Jesus Christ. And finally, I pray you bring the Christians to know Jesus Christ. And, right, and this was kind of a tale that was told about him for a long time, even after that. But here's a man who realized that even we, those of us who are here, some of us who are here that profess to be Christians, that Christ doesn't mean anything to us. In many ways, it's become more of a ritual and something we do every day. Like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. It's, it rolls off our tongues easily. But so many people realize that Christians don't really know Jesus or follow Jesus as they should. And this is what I'm trying to get at. And this is what Scripture is inviting us to realize. That in, 
our true calling and our true purpose is found in Christ. Not in anything, not in your job, not in, your, not in anything but in Christ. That our primary calling is this, that we are called to Christ. And the scripture verse where I just read, Paul, Paul asks, he said, who are you, Lord? That is the question we should be asking. Who are you, Jesus? Right? The two things, two main points that come out of that scripture verse is this. Who are you, Lord, and what must I do? Right? Because at the end of that, Jesus says, you know, stand up and I'll tell you what to do. But the main question we always ask is what, what must I do? Not who are you, Lord? The question we continue to ask is this. What must I do? What is my calling? But I want to tell you that the calling, that Christ, the question we should be asking is who are you, Lord? Who are you, Jesus? Because that defines what, who we're called to. And even in that scripture verse, even as, if, you, if you look at uh, several, um, several stories about Jesus calling uh, or God calling people, it's always this. It's, the, it's, it's God and Christ initiating the call. God initiating the call first, and we are responding to his call. And secondly, this is that while we continue to ask, what must I do? We have to learn and realize that the calling is not about what you must do. The calling is to the caller. Our calling, our vocation is to Christ who calls us. It doesn't constitute of something that we must do, but it's someone who we respond to. But I think some of the questions we ask about that, yes. Okay, say Jesus is calling us. Say Jesus Christ is the one that we're, we're called to. How does he call us? I don't hear this voice, just like Paul did. You know, there's no this, you don't have this audible voice from Jesus saying, you know, Duane, come. <laughs> you don't hear that voice. But it's interesting enough because a, a lot of, we're all here. Honestly, we're here because Christ did call us. Even though you might not have heard an audible voice, Christ moved in your hearts to even draw you here. Secondly, what we notice is this, is that Christ moved through someone else to even speak to you about Christianity. And that's why you're here. But then this, in Romans 1.20, Paul writes that for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature is clearly seen in our world, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. excuse. What is he saying is that all throughout the world, all throughout creation, we see Christ calling us. We see the invitation in, in, through our creation of the invisible works of God and the call for us to come to Jesus. But I think the question most of us do ask is this. Does Jesus really give us purpose and meaning? Does it really satisfy at all? Especially if you're, if you're a Christian, if you grew up a Christian, you're like, 
Yeah, that's, I've heard that so many times. But does he really satisfy my desires? I think that's the question we always ask. But here's the thing. Well, I'm submitting to you that it does satisfy. How do I know this? Well, I know our pursuit of purpose and meaning only works when things are going well. Right? It only satisfies us when uh, you know, our work is well, when our relationships are thriving, when life is good and we're on vacation. <laughs> it works well when everything is good, but guess what, ha- what happens? When it's not good, it doesn't work. When we've achieved what we set out to do, when we're successful, when we're loved, it feels good. But when it doesn't, it comes crashing down. Here's what I'm trying to say. That meaning and purpose in Christ is greater and better because it is strong enough to keep us when things does fail. When you go through those hard times, which will happen. When your relationships is in shambles. When your job is not working. Our meaning and purpose in Christ is stronger than anything else. And part of the, the idea is this, is that God is calling us to receive from him. And he's not interested in what we can do. He's not interested in what we can achieve. He's not interested in how good things are going. He is calling us to receive. It satisfies because purpose and meaning in Christ is rooted in our redemption and not our performance. Everything else that, you, that seems to give us purpose, you have to perform to get it. Right? Your job if you want it to give you purpose, you have to perform and produce. Then it gives you purpose. But Christ, even when all life is down, it still has greater meaning and greater purpose. <laughs> I wrote here, even when life sucks. <laughs> even when life sucks. Even when your, your kid is just... Out of shambles. No other pursuit of purpose or meaning works other than our pursuit of Jesus Christ. In Christ, purpose and meaning is, a part, is, is found apart from what we do. And everything else, purpose and meaning comes from what we have to do, what we have to perform. The idea is this, as we are anchored in Christ, we can do good. We, we, we can actually, this is interesting, that even when we're, as we are anchored in Christ, right, we can do better in our world. And this is what I mean. There are so many people out there, you know, who are, uh, some, some, even some of us here, if you're here and you're not a Christian, some of you are actually better than us who are Christians, You are actually more saintly than us who are Christians. You're actually more giving and charitable charitable than us who are Christians. 
Do you realize that? That there are so many people who are not Christians that are actually way better than us. But as we are anchored in Christ, when we are anchored in Christ, when Christ is our purpose and our meaning, it gives us a greater purpose. Why? Because it's not about what we do. It's not about our performance. It's not about how saintly we are. But it's rooted in what Christ has done. It's rooted in his redemption for us. So that when we actually do good in the world, it comes out of being found in Jesus. It comes out of a foundation that is anchored in Jesus. Now, this is, again, I'm going back to the work. This is not necessarily about your job or vocation. It is part of that. But the good we can do as we're anchored in Jesus, whether it's writing, whether it's playing music, whether it's giving, whether it's sharing of our lives and, and, and you know, going to a soup kitchen, as we are anchored in Christ, it gives us greater meaning and greater purpose. And that leads to my second point, that we're not only called to Christ, but we're also called for others. This is our calling. Our calling is for others, that we are reflecting Christ in our relationships and to the world. That we are actually working and bearing the image of God in our world. This, as, as long as we are anchored in Christ, then as we are anchored in him and we're, we're, we're bearing the image of God's, God's image to the world, we're actually uh, following and uh, doing um, our call. Um, for, for a lot of us, especially if you're married, your primary calling to, for others is in your community, in your family, I should say, right? In your family. You are called to, uh, your calling is to be a dad, is to be a mom, is to be a son, is to be a daughter, that you're caring for your family and you're caring for your wife and your spouse or your husband, that n- nothing else besides Jesus is taking your time or taking your, your, your energy, that it's, it's your primary calling is to your family. I shared about this. Um, you know, just, you know, I, I know I have a couple of friends who, even now, just working busy hours, right? Just busy and busy and busy, working 80 hours. And their family is just left out. They can't be with their family because of work. Now, I know in some for example, I know like even my dad worked a lot of hours when I was growing up. But in my culture, we said, oh, yeah, he loves us, so he's working so many hours, right? That's, that's kind of a cultural thing. But you know what I mean. If you're working 80 hours and your spouse is at home caring for the kids, you may have to rethink what is more important to you. You may have to rethink whether your family is more important to you or your career. I mean, I'll put it this way. When, uh, when we reach our end of days, right, what are they going to say about you? Oh, wow, he worked 80 hours. He just put a lot of money in the bank for us. I was so good. I was so excited. I was so happy. Are they going to say that? <laughs> Not really. I'm going to talk about how you tr- treated them. 
We want to share about that. I mean, they probably wouldn't say anything bad because it's a funeral, all right? They would just <laughs> cover that up and just look for something else to say. But, I mean, what do you want your legacy to be? That you were building up your bank account? Or that you were at home caring for the family, with your family? So our calling is to our family. Our calling is to the community as well, into our world, to your church, whether you're part of this church, is that you're, our, our calling is to be part of what God is doing in our world and sharing in the common good of this church and sharing in the common good of the city. Um, there's a story in John 21 where um, this is after Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And he's hanging out, having breakfast with the disciples. And Peter is there. And this is right after Peter just denied Jesus, right? He denied Jesus three times, as is recorded in, in the scripture, right? He, but Jesus is actually there, there with him, forgiving him. And then he said this to, John, to Peter. He said, do you love me more than these? You know what he's asking? Do you love me more than your career, more than your job? More than your fishing job. Do you more, love me more than these? And he asked him that three times. And then Peter said, yes. Jesus said, feed my sheep. What is Jesus calling him to? He's calling him to remember the community. To remember that he's called for others. <laughs> Not his job, remember? <laughs> you feed my sheep. You're called for others. But here's the temptation we often find. In this, is that we often find ourselves, like I said, we're self-centered, or we find ourselves comparing ourselves to others. He's making more than I am. He has a better career than I am. I have to catch up. And Peter actually does the same thing. Because Jesus says to Peter, listen, feed my sheep, but here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to sacrifice your life. They're going to take you to a place you don't want to go. And then Peter said, wait, what, what about John? What about this disciple that you really love? And Jesus, don't worry about him. What is that to you? Don't worry about him. Do what I've called you to do. So you might be in a position where, yeah, your career is not where you want it to be. Don't worry about that. Do what God has called you to do. He's called you to, to, to be anchored in Christ. He's called you to be anchored in community. And lastly, this. Actually, before I go to the next point, um, this, I, I want to share this quote. This is what Askinus says. God no, normally calls us along the line of our giftedness, right? He calls us to share in our gifts and, and, and the things that we're good at. But the purpose of our giftedness is stewardship and service, not selfishness, which is the temptation we often get. That our gift is for me and me alone. But no, instead, it's for the stewardship and for service. Last point is this. God has called us to, to Christ. God has called us to, for others. And God has called us to live life in the ordinary. Life is so ordinary. It's so routine. It's so boring sometimes, right? You wake up in the morning. You have to brush your teeth. And then even trying to wake up, we reluctantly wake up because, ah, I have to do this again. But it's interesting because much of American culture teaches us that it's about the adventure. It's about the manifest destiny. 
Life is supposed to be exciting and full of just joy and excitement, right? And again, I've we've said this numerous times. That's why social media looks the way it does. It's pretty and beautiful because that's what life is about, the adventure. But, you know, life is just same old mundane, same old nine to five, the drudgery of work. That's what life is about. If you're a parent, life is about cleaning up that stinky diaper, which I hope I'll never do, because I think I'm going to wear a mask and do that if I have a baby, when we have a baby. This is rough. But that's what life is about. It's ordinary. It's taking up the stinky diaper. It's getting ready for work. It's getting on that train and not feeling like it. It's dealing with people you don't want to deal with. Life is about the ordinary. That's what God has called us into. Some of us want to escape. I know. We want to go on vacation. We want to be away. God has called us to live life in the ordinary. Especially in, our world, in, our, in this world where there's this urgency for bigger, bigger better, faster, smarter, brighter, it's always this sense of urgency to do more. God has called us to the ordinary. In First Thessalonians 4, verse 11, it says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business, work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, so that you will not be dependent on anybody. God has called us to live that quiet, lead that quiet life. To stop pursuing the excitement of social media. Stop pursuing the adventure that America tells you you should pursue. Instead, live in the ordinary life, in the ordinary moments, day by day. As Tish Warren says, God is forming us to a new people. And the place of that formation is happening in the small moments of today. Our place of formation is happening in the small moments of everyday life. But God is forming us even when we feel like he's not forming us. But even as we close and as we call the team, and we're going to take communion, communion today. And I want to remind us and challenge us that our calling might not seem as exciting as we want it to be. But here's why it's exciting, actually. Because primarily, our calling is to Jesus Christ. Who doesn't want us based on what we do? Who doesn't want us based on how exciting our life should be? He wants us just as we are. He loves us not because of our achievement, but he loves us because of what he's done. And we know this because he sacrificed his life for us, which sounds very foreign to Western ears. The love of God is shown through sacrifice. The love of God allows us to live the ordinary day through his sacrifice. And I think if, as we remember just how just crazy that is, as we remember the, the sacrifice and the, the, 
what Christ had to do so that we can actually now be anchored in him. As we remember that, it helps us to live in the everyday moments, to live in the crisis that we would inevitably have, help us to live in the joys and the success of life. Wherever you find yourself, the love of Jesus enables us, anchors us, gives us meaning, and gives us purpose. So I'm going to pray for us. And if you're here and you found yourself, yeah, you've, your, your job, you've made that your primary calling. You've made the thing that made, made it give you purpose and meaning. Your family has been that primary thing. I just want to remind us that Christ is enough. As we are called to Christ, we are now called for others. And we're called to live out of the ordinary. So God, I pray even now as we take of the communion, as we remember what you've done for us, I pray, God, even now you would solidify that you make that true, not just in our minds, but also in our hearts. You make that real. The enormity, the vastness of your love. In Jesus' name we pray.